At LensCrafters, we value expertly tailored eye care, provide state-of-the-art eye exams, offer a wide assortment of designer brands and high-quality lenses, because everything we do at LensCrafters is for every site that makes your life special. We offer 50% off lenses with frame purchase, shop in-store and online. Book your annual eye exam now on LensCrafters.com. LensCrafters, because sight. Eye exams are available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to LensCrafters. Doctors in some states are employed by LensCrafters. Offer valid to April 2nd, 2023. See associate for details. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Michelle, welcome back to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Hi, Blake. I kind of feel like I need to say my best friend, Blake, right here. (laughs) I just looked it up before we started recording. You were on the show in December of 2019, so just a couple months before the world shut down. Oh, my gosh. It feels like a century ago, and it was only three years, three and a half years ago. (laughs) And in the meantime, you wrote your fourth book. Because when you came on, that was for your third. So this time we are talking, we're not going to just talk about your book, obviously, but we are talking about a faith that will not fail. 10 practices to build up your faith when your world is falling apart. How appropriate, Hmm. considering the world actually kind of did fall apart. Fall apart. Yes. (laughs) So this is like in hindsight, what have we learned from all of this? (laughs) Yeah, because it was talking to people about it recently, because I do feel like some people were just kind of starting to come out of the COVID fog and not be so scared and exhausted. And the crazy thing is, is that the like the world fell apart and then life kept going. Yes. And so difficult things kept happening and trauma and new experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it was people ended up just buried underneath all of these difficult things. So I'm curious. I'm going to ask you a question. Look at me turn the tables on I you. I love it. So I feel like since we are friends, yes. uh, I can do this. So this is what I've noticed. As we have come out of the fog of the immediate crisis, what I'm noticing as I'm listening into conversations that now, since we're not in survival mode, we're starting to really wrestle with the fallout of mm-hmm. what happened over the last three years. And so what I'm hearing or what I'm seeing is that people are really struggling And it's not struggling with survival. They're struggling with more of the deeper issues underneath all of that. Like, I'm not surviving anymore, but what the heck just happened? And what does this mean? And what do I believe? Yeah. Have you noticed that? Oh, I literally just did a podcast episode on it like two weeks ago from when we were recording about the concept of when you come out of trauma, that you're typically really tired because you can rest now. You're not having to tread water and keep your head above water. And collectively, people are just exhausted. And I think way more tired than we even were in the midst of all of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because the government has said like COVID is over. A lot of those like really heavy stressors have been lifted. And so people are just 
like you said, what just happened? What this happened? And I'm what does this so mean? Tired. Right. And what does it mean? And what did I live through? Like I think about women who had babies. Yes. Oh, in gosh. 2020, right? I'm like, sorry. Just give me a moment because just the thought of I, adding babies on top of that just is right more than I can mentally take. I had a COVID toddler. So I had a two and a half year old. These women that had infants or, or I mean, mothers in general, we were just trapped in our homes or people who yeah. lost their jobs or it was threatened that they were going to lose their jobs or they had relational fallout. Yeah. All of those things can happen outside of the COVID microcosm. Yeah. But they were, it was like on steroids. Totally. Totally. And, you know, we had to kind of hold ourselves together at some point. This is right. what happens when you go through some kind of trauma. I've had a little bit of experience a little bit. walking through traumas. But when you go through trauma, you kind of have to just, you just buckle up and hold yourself together. And then the moment that you can let your guard down, what happens is, is there's not a little let down. It's almost like a complete falling apart. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that. We're seeing people very, very angry and lots of conflict and intensity everywhere all the time. I was actually writing about this yesterday. It used to be rare to see somebody in public like lose their crap in public, right? They could keep it together. Seems like every week I go into a store or the airport or something, I see somebody completely unravel in public. I'm like, what is that about? Yeah. Well, I just think we can't hold it together anymore. Like we have tried to button ourselves up and hold ourselves together and we just can't. And running off of like pure adrenaline and fear and stress, like that's not sustainable. My husband was in the customer service industry until last year (sighs) and he openly tell people like COVID ruined customers. They have no tolerance for inconvenience. Not like it took a normally, like he worked with a relatively difficult client base to, it was un, like he had to leave his job because it was going to suck the life out of him for the yeah. rest of his yeah. life. People just changed so much. And so it's, it's all of us. Like we're all maybe we're not all losing it in public, hopefully. Like <laughs> some of us are holding hopefully. it together a little bit. But we're doing other things. We're right. doing numbing activities to try to not deal with it. We're, you know, marriages are struggling right now. I, I've read all kinds of stats. I read an, a news article. They did a report where they evaluated. This was, I think, November of last year. They surveyed over 2,000 psychologists what they're experiencing post-pandemic versus pre-pandemic. And the percentages have increased in things like depression, anxiety, drug use, alcohol use, all of that has Rocketed. We're talking changes like 60%, 50%, 70% higher. So we're all coping in our own ways. But the reality is, is we're feeling the tension. I think that's the point. Like the pandemic's done, but the fallout isn't. Exactly. And it's spanning generations. Yes. It's not like, oh, just the millennials with their mental health problems are falling apart. Like it, this impacted everybody yeah. from our elders to children. I'm not millennial and I'm far beyond millennial, just for the record. But I feel it. Right? right. Exactly. So people that are listening are probably resonating, right? They're like, yes, I'm exhausted and I'm overwhelmed and I'm trying to process what the last couple of years was and what does my life look like? And then you're coming to the table with like practices and disciplines. And I'm, people are probably like, no, no, no I can't no. add anything else to my plate right now. I know, now. I know. I thought the same thing. I almost didn't use the word practices because I used to be a piano teacher once upon a time, long time ago. And 
everybody hated to practice. Nobody wanted to practice, right? So I almost hesitated using that word, but practices was a much smaller word than disciplines yes. or strategies. This book is less about doing and more about being. So this is more practicing present, practicing a way of being in the heavy work that God's already done. So this whole idea of faith, faith is really God's doing the heavy lifting when it comes to the good news of the gospel, not us. Amen. <laughs> God's done the work. The work is done. That's why Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Right. Boom. Right. The work has been done. But you and I need to learn to practice sitting in the finished work, right? To practice allowing that to actually change the way we think, feel, express, behave, relate, all of that. And so these practices, that's what I want everybody to keep in mind. It's more about being, not about doing. They're broken down into five chapters for each of the 10 practices. So 50 chapters, that tells you how small the chapters are. They're yeah. supposed to be very bite-sized, accessible, taking, yeah, taking a complex theology, but making it accessible for anyone. Which I think a lot of people are in need of right now, because I, I think collectively we are aware. A lot of people, not everybody, but I like to think that some people are like, I'm struggling. <laughs> what I'm doing isn't working. Yep. But so much of what the world will tell you the fix for that is, is behavior based, right? So people will hear practices to build up your faith and it it's, I can't do another thing. I, yes, I don't have exactly. time to do another thing. when. I'm very much of the opinion that like God is more after our hearts than our actions. Yes, I agree. A hundred percent. How do we like in a world that tells us that performance and what you're doing and these actions are what's going to change your life. That's what matters. How do we shift our priority into taking care of our minds and our souls and like taking the time to do these practices that feed that part of us? Totally. Well, just, you know, writing this is it's not self-help. The reality is if self-help worked, we would have helped ourselves a long time ago. Amen. <laughs> the self-help industry is massive and huge. And I have plenty of self-help books, so I'm not dissing them. Right. The truth is if we could help ourselves into our own salvation, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. Right? Exactly. So this is not self-help because we are in need of rescue. <laughs> and, and that's part of this practice is acknowledging the fact that we are in over our head, mm. right? Simply saying, guess what? This is more than I can. Uh, one of the Christian cliches I hate more than any other is that God would never give us more than we can handle. And that's a bunch of garbage. It's just... Find it in the Bible. <laughs> exactly. <A> bunch <laughs> of garbage. I mean, I've been given more than I can handle more than once, many, many times. Yep. So that's just not true. And so one of the practices in the book that I talk about is the practice of humility. Well, it takes humility to be able to basically fall on your face and say, I cannot self-help myself to wholeness. True. I can't. Yeah. Jesus, I need you. That's what it looks like to practically, practically start to work toward this is being able to simply say, I can't save myself. Jesus, I need you to save me. Yeah. Or I am in over my head. This is harder than I know what to do with. I think of the story of King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. I won't go into the story, but Jehoshaphat prays a prayer as he's getting ready to face these multiple armies. And he simply says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Mm -hmm. That right there. That's a practice of being, not doing. Yes. Well, and there are hurdles to even that, right? Our own personal hurdles and experiences of... Like I'm thinking what mine would be. Mine would be, well, what if 
What if God isn't who he says he is? What if he doesn't show up the way he says he will? What if I lay all of this down that I feel like I've always had to carry and nobody picks it up and it all just falls apart? And I don't know about you, I've had to, I've considered getting a tattoo because I genuinely need this tattoo that's like, he never has. Never has. He I know. never has. Like he yep. has never failed. He has never yep. let you down. That doesn't mean things haven't been hard. Yes. There's a difference between good doesn't mean easy. Amen. Okay. Good. Something being good doesn't mean easy. There's a lot of good things that we do in life that are extraordinarily hard and painful. Like giving birth. Like just giving be birth. Like being a mother. <laughs> like being a mother. Like going to the gym and working out. Right. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. In fact, it's downright painful. But we still know it's good, right? Surgery. If we have a a surgery that's necessary. Let's say we break a leg and have to have it reset. The surgery, the process is painful, but it's good. And I think we forget that there are times that we equate pain, the presence of pain with the absence of God, when we need to understand Mm -hmm. it. just because we're in pain doesn't mean that God is not working for our good. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm starting to get all preachy, but no, I love, I'm sitting here like, (laughs) oh, dang, like, yes. (laughs) I, I mean, I've wrestled with this. I get what you're saying of what if God doesn't, there's a certain prayer I've been praying for months and months and months now, actually years, but definitely intensely over the last 12 months or so. And I'm praying, praying, praying. And I find myself holding back on my prayers because I've prayed similar faith-based prayers that didn't pan out. And, and what do I do? Do I stop praying? And so I finally decided I'm just going to tell the truth. And so as I'm praying to God, I'm like, I got to tell you. I'm having a hard time even praying for your deliverance in this because there have been seasons where I prayed for something specific and you didn't deliver what I wanted. Right. And just telling the truth about that. However, as I'm doing that, I mean, he's, I feel him at times go, yep, you're right. I didn't give you what I wanted. And then he just waits. And I'm like, I know, I know, but you were still faithful. Right. Yes. But it's just that wrestling with our human need to want a certain outcome versus Rather than and banking on an outcome, banking on a person. So a spiritual practice that I, I'm not saying this is from the book, this for me personally goes exactly with what you're talking about is I don't think that we abandon the big picture, but I've stopped focusing on the big picture and have tried to put my eyes on what he has in front of me. What is the next right step? Exactly. Even if it's like, I have no idea what step two is going to be. If I get a piece about this is step, the next step, I'm going to take that and like, let God worry about the big picture because that's, that's biblical, right? Like let tomorrow has enough worry for itself. Like let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. And that has been life changing is just because I think we are, we're taught that we need to like see the big picture, know where we're going. And like head that direction. And so people will ask, what do you want the show to look like in five years? I'm like, I don't know what I want the show to look like at the end of the year. Like, I have no yeah, idea, know. you know? That's totally true. Well, at the end of the book, not to bring it back to that, but I do talk about the practice of perspective and the practice Ooh, of yeah. waiting. Okay. Because sometimes perspective, we get caught in our perspective. There's um, one of my favorite sections of the Bible is Second Corinthians 4. And at the end of that, it talks about, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Yes. So what is te- seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Now, that doesn't mean we focus on 
five years in the future that's unseen, but just the reality of God versus the presence of our pain, right? So that's part of it. But then there's also that idea of waiting. And the truth is, as uh, spoiled, entitled Americans, we aren't comfortable with waiting for anything. Like we don't even want to wait for our dinner to be cooked on the stove. We put it in the microwave or yep. we, you know, we want everything fast. But in the process, our resilience muscles have grown very weak and lack, mm-hmm. right? We yeah. have lost the skill of waiting. And so learning how to wait well is something that we need to recapture. Because like you said, I, I need to just sit present with right now rather than try to speculate or anticipate or predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Because that's a waste of time and energy. What does it look like to just be here? Thirty million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. And if you're among them, I need you to know that you're not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver some results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. It supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning. Nutrafol has three physician-formulated formulas using natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients so you can get the most reliable results. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code BLAKE to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer they offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Blake. Well, and it'll drain you of the ability to be right here. I think about it in terms of being a mom a lot. I spend... There's like a little chunk of time in my motherhood, and it was recent, where I was really obsessed with the outcome. Oh, yeah. I was really obsessed with like what I was doing now, what is this going to turn into? What is this going to manifest into for my children? And that was stressing me out. And when you're stressed out, then it's more difficult to be present and it's more difficult to be patient with a five-year-old. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not a mother to a 16-year-old. I'm a mother to a six-year-old. Yes. Let's be a mom to a six-year-old and do that, you know, at, through the Holy Spirit to the best that I can. We'll cover being a mom to a 16-year-old when I get there. When the time comes. Yeah, yeah, that's really very wise, Blake. I don't know if you realize how wise that is because so much of mothering is trying to determine if what I'm doing today is going to deliver this result or that result. And how do yeah. I need to? Um, it's also futile because who knows what could happen between now, now and then, right? So just be in presence of this. One thing I read, I'm trying to think, I think it was yesterday as I was reading Philippians, but part of this study that I was doing was talking about that when the moment comes that we have to deal with something hard, God will deliver the grace needed for that moment at that moment. He's not going to give you today right. the grace for a moment five years from now because you need different mercies and graces today. Exactly. So just trust that when those moments come, if they come, because we don't even know that they will have and that they will happen that God will give you exactly what you need in that moment. I have a good friend who had a baby and nine months after having that first baby, she got pregnant again, right? So 
here she is. And she knows that she's going to have two kids under two. And she's like, oh, what have I done? You know, they're going to be like 17 months apart. Yeah. And she was so overwhelmed. And I said, sweetheart, goodness, you don't have to worry about being a mom to two for eight more months. Yep. The time, by the time that that comes around, you will be ready. You don't have to be ready today. Yeah. And even as I said that to her, I was like, hmm. I probably could preach that own thing to myself. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Because I'm talking about this in terms of motherhood. But if I, if we, if you zoom out, there are other areas of my life where I'm like, let's talk about like, I've had cancer three times and I live under the cloud of the fact that it could come back anytime. Right. And I used to spend, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating every day, all day worrying about whether or not we come back. Like every bit of pain I felt, every little twins of something. I'm like, is that cancer coming back? Do I have- And I will say like, I think that people wouldn't blame you. Like it's not, not. That, it's not that these things that we're stressing about, it's like, don't stress about that. That's dumb. No, it's legitimate. It's legitimate. Yeah. But- Same with mothering. Worrying right. about our kids. The truth is, is, there's countless stories out there of moms who had kids that went haywire along the way, right? So right. it's legitimate. But I had to stop and remind myself again about this idea. If, if, when it comes back or I have to deal with that, God will give me what I need in that moment. I don't have to borrow that for today. Mm, mm, I don't have to borrow it for today. (laughs) That is good. That is really good. Okay. I want to talk about like grief and lamenting. Oh, yes. That's like one of my favorite topics, which sounds really masochistic, but it's such an important part of our wholeness is allowing ourselves to grieve. And it's so like, people don't know what to do with that. You know, we've we've done a terrible job of allowing people space to feel big feelings. Yes. I suspect I'm not a social scientist by any means. But I think part of why we're experiencing such a rise in anger and intensity and even kind of aggression, like customer service, whatever, mm-hmm. is because people haven't been given permission to just be sad. Amen. Yeah. It's okay to just say, wow, the last three years have been a freaking nightmare and right. I am overwhelmed and I am deeply sad about all this time that we've lost or these things that have happened or whatever. This idea of grief. I like to think of it, well, let's put it this way. I live in Colorado. We have a risk of wildfires quite often because it's a very dry, arid climate. Well, a couple of years ago, there was a massive wildfire, 2021. Yes, 2021, the Marshall Fire mm-hmm. up by Boulder, Colorado. You probably heard about it in the national news because yep. in the span of a few hours, entire residential neighborhoods, the whole city basically burned to the ground. 1,084 homes burned to the ground the week before Christmas and New Year's. In the 15, 16 months since then, they are just now starting to rebuild. But what what have they done for the last 15, 16 months? They've had to deal with the rubble. Right. They've had to deal with all the ash, all of everything that was burned to the ground. The same is true for us. We cannot start building something new until we deal with the rubble. Amen. There is no way for us to heal and build the next part of our life until we have acknowledged the ash that is sitting there from something we've lost before. They both can happen, right? but you can't do one without the other. They have to go together. And 
This is why you and I need to allow each other as much time as it takes to grieve. Like there is no set time limit. It takes as long as it takes. Allow yourself to be sad. Don't stay there for goodness sakes. Don't live in a place of just bitterness for decades, but good heavens. Right. You've gone through a lot. Just give yourself permission to admit it. Wow. That was a lot. That was not fun. I'm really struggling. Right. And I that was kind of the point that I made. I mentioned that episode that I recorded about the last three years, even if in your personal microcosm, the last three years were super hunky dory, you still went through it. Yeah. Whether you wanted to or not, whether you wanted to or not, like the last three years have been nuts. And I, what I see the conversation being amongst the church is very give thanks in all circumstances, rejoice always, like don't be anxious about everything. But my response to that has been lately, there's a whole book. There's a whole book titled Lamentation. Yes. An entire book in the Bible about like a whole book. <laughs> you know, I've done some research on that. The book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is often called the complaining or the weeping prophet. And it's like one of the longest books in the Bible, right? Yeah. Like just super long. And he's the complaining prophet, which cracks me up. Um, the book of First Peter in the New Testament talks about suffering in every chapter in the book of First Peter. I mean, I can go on and on. Lamentations, Psalms is full of laments. There's so many places. Uh, You read Ezra and Nehemiah, and they had to mourn and grieve and tear their robes in front of God. That was a necessary part before they could even get to worship and healing. We see it everywhere. But the modern church, we've not done a good job of teaching people what that looks like, how to be able to do it, both individually as well as collectively. Okay, so I have this whole theory that the um, the westernized like modern church is so heavily influenced by culture. Yeah. More than they would want to admit. Cuz you look back at older scholars and there is that that air of yeah. grief and lamentation, but it's like toxic positivity became a thing in self-help culture and it bled its way into the church. Yeah. And so how do we put aside toxic positivity that everything doesn't have to be awesome always and still reconcile like with those verses that tell us things like give thanks in all circumstances and rejoice always? Yeah. Well, I think we see the most beautiful example of it in Lamentations. So this book that talks about lament throughout the first two chapters, if you read it, it's a little alarming. Like he's lamenting some pretty horrible things. (laughs) Yeah. And it goes verse by verse talking about all these things. I mean, he spends two chapters, two and a half chapters listing all these things he said, he sat about. And then you get to chapter three and he said, I remember my wondering the bitterness and the gall yet this I call to mind and therefore have hope. This is a very important shift. So He's acknowledging his losses, but yet he's then turning the corner and saying, yet I am not completely without hope because of this one reason. And Mm. he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not. Mm. Right. So it's not that his circumstances have changed. We tend to think of worship and grief as being mutually exclusive, like joy and grief have to happen separately, that they're simultaneous, that they have to be one step at a time. Uh, They're not sequential. They're simultaneous. They happen at the same time. So you can lament. And at the same time say, yet this I call to mind and therefore I'm not without hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We see the same thing in Job, in Job's story, you know, which right. he, had, he had a few significant reasons to lament as well. And yet in the middle of all that, in I can't even remember what chapter, he simply says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's still living the nightmare. I mean, he has still lost everything. It's not like it's coming back. His kids have died. His health is gone. You know, he's lost it all. And in the middle of that, at the same time, he holds them in tension. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. That's a practice, by the way, being able to acknowledge the sadness and still say, but I do have reason for hope. And it's not because of an outcome that may or may not happen. My reason for hope is the Lord's love is everlasting. And that means that I will not be consumed because his mercies are new every morning. I'm going to find new mercies tomorrow to deal with. I really think that's the only way to survive is allowing the two to coexist. Because when you try to just do the, I know my redeemer lives and you pretend like things aren't falling apart. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It catches up with you. It sounds right. It's a cliche. Right. Well, and you're not dealing with stuff that your body is literally going to make you deal with at some point. Like the body keeps score. You're going to have to deal with this anyway. So why not? Because then the other end of that is people who just focus on how hard and how bad and they forget. Like we have this selective memory and we forget all the times that God has carried us through the really terrible things. And it's like only when those two come together First of all, do you get to, I think, experience the goodness of God in a whole new way and light, but you also get the opportunity to be a light. Like think about people that you know that are walking through it, that are completely able and willing to recognize this is really hard, this is really terrible, God is still good. Those conversations, those people are always the ones that you just walk away going, Yeah, he's as good as he says he is. Well, and that's really the point. So I think of it this way too. So I've, you know, I've had cancer three times. The last time I had two thirds of my tongue removed, my vocal cords have been so burned by radiation that they don't work very well. I used to be a singer. There was a time I traveled and sang for my college. I recorded uh, an album. This was back in the cassette tape days, but I recorded all of that kind of stuff. I don't have nearly a singing voice anymore. However, when I go to church, let me tell you, I wail, even though it's painful, because it's, you know, to use a church phrase, a sacrifice of praise, right? Um, that there is something. And I'm realizing that even though the sound of my song is not nearly as lovely as it once it was, the sound of my worship is even more beautiful Ooh. because it's coming from the place of my pain. Mm. So when you and I choose to worship from the place of our pain, okay, and not just singing, I'm talking about anytime we choose to in that place of our suffering to say, but I know my Redeemer lives. When we choose to worship from the place of our pain, that is the most beautiful kind of music. I honestly believe that because it's coming from a place of such hard earned authenticity, honesty, and truth that it can't compare with the little songs that we sang before when we didn't know anything about pain and suffering. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I've experienced that, that the the songs and the worship and the the books of the Bible that come to life when you have Mm. walked through these really difficult. It's entirely different. It's totally different, you know, and you're reading it going, I know I've read this before. (laughs) 
But <laughs> I did all of a sudden, yes. yeah. Like and you, you even feel like almost a burning in your heart. You're like, it's so alive that you feel it. Yes. Um, and it's hard to explain. I've experienced the exact same thing where my awareness or sensitivity to God's reality is so much more profound right now, but it's more profound because I've gone through the wilderness where I wondered if he was even real or there. Yeah. And so now when I experience him, let me tell you, it blows my socks off because I'm like, whoa, what was, <laughs> what was that? I know what it's like to live in a place where I didn't want to believe in God anymore, where I was yeah. consumed with so much pain that I'm like, I don't want God. And that is a different kind of devastation, let me tell you. Yeah. Either way, your life is going to have pain, whether you believe in God or not. But life without God is unbearable. Life with him, all of a sudden you experience these moments where you can't even explain it, that his reality speaks to you. And you're like, that's crazy. And that's so sweet. And I want more of that. And I'm thankful for practices, for things like this, that you you can do these things, make them a part of your life, and that it's like it hedges you closer to that experience. And it gives you the tools to walk through when it does hit the fan and when things do get really difficult. You have these kind of like in your back pocket. I talked said this before we started recording that last year was kind of hard for like my family on a personal level. But it was the first time that I walked through the valley and didn't forget about the mountain. Mm. You know what that means? That means you've developed some spiritual wisdom. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which only comes when you're in circumstances that require it. Right. So all that means is slowly through these circumstances that you wish were different, God is actually strengthening your faith. Yeah. Yeah. Which the irony is, the only way to strengthen your faith is to go through circumstances where you have to exercise it. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's like the... You're like, the, dang it. <laughs> the old saying where it's like, don't ask for patience because yeah, he'll give exactly. you a reason to practice yeah. it. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Which is, you know, for those of you who are listening that are in a place where you're really wrestling with your faith, and I know it doesn't feel like it, but there is some good work that's happening in your faith right now while you're wrestling with it. I know Absolutely. it feels... Like it's a worst case scenario, like you're losing your faith. But in many cases, when you're in that place where you're questioning, that's when God is actually working super hard to build up your faith. Amen. Thank you so much. I've loved this conversation. Anytime <laughs> I get to like hang out with you is just the best. Tell people where they can keep up with you and connect with you online. Well, the easiest way to find everything is at my website. That's kind of like the hub and it's michellecachette.com. Michelle with one L, Cachette with two Ts. You can find out more about the book at michellecachette.com forward slash faith. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook doing some more videos, trying to leave people little nuggets to build up their faith in hard places. And so you can connect with me there for certain stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. I love you, Blake, and I will always come on your show anytime <laughs> you want me to. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.